Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Luke 1, 5-25 and 57-80. Silence is a gift we struggle to receive, yet without it we will not begin to comprehend God's profound movement in our lives. Let's hear today's message. Yesterday I was in the car running errands. No, I was not Christmas shopping. I actually got that done a couple of days in advance. Um, but I was running errands and I was listening to uh, sports radio as I, uh, as I often do. And there was uh, one of the commentators listing in George Costanza fashion his Christmas Eve grievances. Anybody know that reference, right? The Festivus the listing of grievances. Anyways, um, he was talking about all of the things he struggled with on Christmas Eve, especially Christmas Eve this year. He gave five reasons. I won't share all of them, but just to give you a taste, one of them was he was really, really frustrated that every year he has to be reintroduced to George Bailey. He was saying, I watch this movie every year, and my wife makes me sit down. I took a little offense to that. Because I'm the one in our house who turns on George Bailey every year and then get the eye roll from the rest of my family. One that he said that I do agree with was he's really frustrated now that they have adult children that his wife still makes him hide the presents and then late on Christmas Eve after the kids go to bed they have to bring them all under the tree as if it's some big secret. That's been something I've been arguing for years now. And it still doesn't seem to have effect. Another, and the one that I kind of lift up for us this morning, is the frustration that his wife is making him go to church at the same time that he wants to watch football. Because Christmas Eve is following on a Sunday this year, right? And, And while you might think as a preacher that I'd go, oh, I can't believe he thinks that. There is a part of me that goes, oh yeah, I get it, right? I get it. There's a, there's a part of our flesh that this, this morning and, and this, this day, you know this is really pretty unique, right? That, that the fourth Sunday of Advent falls on Christmas Eve so that there is morning worship um, as we are sharing and then there's evening worship, and, and I've suggested you for weeks, if you're able, if you're not traveling, we sure would love to have you worship at both times. I know many churches are, are doing worship all day long, and it's the same service, but, but not here. We're recognizing Advent this morning and Christmas Eve tonight, and boy, that could be a burden. I mean, especially if you haven't finished your shopping. You know, stores are closing, I think, like four o'clock. This could be prime time for you to be shopping right now. I mean, if you're trying to prepare for family, get the house cleaned up, all of that, this this could be a challenge. But I hope, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. I hope you'll recognize it as as a blessing. Because this is a rare opportunity we have to to frame this very special moment in the Christian calendar, to frame it with worship, both in the morning and in the evening. 
gives us opportunity to, to share some unique blessings, like, like our congregation being able to worship as one church family. Those of you who are guests may not be aware that we, we normally have two services in the morning, and, and so there are people in different services that don't even know each other, and yet they're part of the same church family. We get to kind of rectify that a bit this morning. And I'm, I'm personally grateful because one of my mild grief, uh, uh, moments of grief every Christmas is that the, the, the church family that I love, understandably, many of them leave in this great celebration to go, go celebrate with family. And so I, I'm here on Christmas Eve, glad to be here, but often looking out on people I don't even know. And I'm so grateful that we're able to share uh, this time uh, this morning, I know some of you are taken off to go visit family as soon as we're done, and, and I'm just grateful we're able to share this time together. Whether this time of worship is for us a blessing or a burden, of course, it's all about our, our mindset, our preparation. And the passage we've begun to read this morning, given to us by this schedule that we are following, it's a great one to help us give ourselves this kind of final moment of of preparation. It could be like uh, a spiritual chiropractor as the Holy Spirit, through God's word, takes us one last time and says, all right, let's give you this adjustment so that you can be ready. Of course, it focuses on the story of Zechariah and his, and his wife Elizabeth and the, and the miraculous birth that they will experience. And it invites us to consider the, the, the coming promise of the Messiah, of Jesus, through Zechariah's preparation. As we look at his life, we can reflect on our own life and and ask the Spirit to help us get ready in these last moments. And so that's what I'm praying for. Uh, I want to pray now. We will continue to read in a little bit, so hopefully you didn't close the the Bible. If you did, that's fine, but, but get ready. We'll open it again in a moment. But let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do. We do come recognizing all of the busyness of the season, all of the expectations, all of the noise, everything. And the invitation to come and be still. To come before you and your word. To come and listen for the voice of your spirit. To come and prepare ourselves to remember again and to celebrate our king who came into the world as a baby. Holy Spirit, would you meet each one of us right where we are? Help us not just to understand some ancient text, but to hear your voice that we might turn and follow you anew in this day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, we're looking at Zachariah's story, and it's the perfect story for this moment to, to help us transition from the Old Testament to the New, to step into Christmas. If you're not part of our congregation, it'll help you to, to be aware that we, are, we have been, since September, tracing God's story 
through the scripture. We, we began the Sunday after Labor Day and uh, with, with a, a passage in Genesis. And beginning with creation, we, we've been kind of trying to understand God and how God relates to his people all through the Old Testament. And of course, uh, at Christmas, we recognize this, this important shift where we turn from, from our gaze fixed on the people under the old covenant to the people under the, in the new covenant, in, in, in Jesus' life. But, but Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth in this whole scene gives us great opportunity to make that transition. It's like a, like a bridge, a little bit like the old and certainly announcing the new. I mean, consider in the passage these, these marks of the Old Testament. I know we're in the Gospel of Luke, but it feels like we're reading the Old Testament. I mean, like Zechariah, who is he? He's, he's a priest at the temple offering incense. That, that seems straight out of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Zechariah is an ordinary priest. Something I read suggested there are probably 8,000 priests in Israel at that time. And, and so he is one of many who have been selected to go and and be about the business of the temple. Now, the most important, most prestigious thing that an ordinary priest could do at the temple is to be selected to burn incense before this altar. You, you might have noticed that it says, by, by lot he was chosen. Well, that's kind of like this uh, system of chance, although the belief is that it's God's spirit who's working through that. And so, so a priest would expect to only be given this opportunity once, at most twice in their life. And so here's Zechariah. He's been chosen for this incredible moment. It is the pinnacle of his career. He is coming to the altar, or the table of incense, which is right in front of the altar. If you know anything about the, the temple, that at the center of the temple is the most holy place. It is the place where, where uh, years ago the Ark of the Covenant was placed. In the most holy place, it was thought that there the presence of God resided. And that holy place was, was marked off by a curtain. If you know the story, it was that curtain. When, when Jesus was crucified, the curtain was supernaturally, miraculously torn, indicating that now God was present with the people. Well, it's right in front of that curtain that you would find the table of incense. And here Zechariah was making uh, this, this sacrifice and burning the incense, uh, offering the prayers of the people to God. It's a really kind of Old Testament scene. Within that time, an angel comes. You saw that. And it's in the angel's words we see that the next mark of the Old Testament, this opportunity to see this bridge being made. For if you, if you don't know the prophet Malachi, you probably wouldn't have recognized that the angel's words were words that were already spoken by the prophet Malachi. Here they are, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents. 
or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. To which you're going, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is always interesting when someone quotes, but, but if you don't recognize the placement of that passage, you, you're still not getting the full weight of what's going on. Malachi is the last prophet recorded in the Hebrew Bible. And these are his last words. So in fact, what I'm trying to help you see is that these are the last words of the Hebrew Bible. That was profound, wasn't it? (laughs) Points that have just fell up here for those who didn't see it. No, it's fine. Just leave it there. Yeah. Those are the last words of the, the Old Testament prophet. And God had been silent after those words for 400 years. I mean, think about all that we've been hearing over the last few months as we've traced God's story. I mean, God is speaking a lot, right? Through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Elijah, all of these. We traced them all. God is, has not been quiet, but all of a sudden, after Malachi's words, nothing. The people are wondering, where has God gone? Last, last mark, of course, is this baby himself who, if you haven't recognized yet, is John the Baptist. I want you to see that. We'll continue reading in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. Let's look at that together, and then I'll explain a little bit more. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then? Is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. We're normally focused on, focused on the miraculous birth of Jesus on this day, but, but it's right to, to look at John for a moment. For look at what Jesus himself said about John. As recorded in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, we, we can read these words. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying something incredible is about to come. John the Baptist is like the last Old Testament prophet. There was no one greater than him. Not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not Elijah, not Elisha, but 
because of this kingdom that is coming, even the least in this coming will be greater in that. So pay attention. The passage we just read is followed by what in my Bible and probably yours is is entitled Zechariah's Song. And I'm not going to read that for you uh, because it is going to be sung later on in the service. So again, I'd I'd mark your Bible so that when it is being sung, you can can, uh, be blessed to read along and, and see how the Scripture lines up with the song. But in Zechariah's Song, you will notice, for example, in verse 69, that Zechariah acknowledges and recognizes, is able to take hold of of this movement of God where where this child that is being born is about to announce the one who is called uh, the horn of salvation from the house of David who is being raised up. It's a beautiful song as as you picture Zechariah looking at his child who lays there. And tries to comprehend before God that this vulnerable, precious child is the one who has been announced as the one who will come before Jesus. And it's his child. Can you wrap your head around that? I mean, if you've had a child before, do you remember, like, just sitting in the quiet of the nursery, just looking at the baby and wondering Who is this little one going to be? Could you imagine Zechariah trying to get his head around what God has announced? That this child will be the one who has has been announced as the one who will come before the Messiah. How does Zechariah come to grasp that profound message. How did he go from being the one that when Gabriel says, hey, uh, <laughs> your, your wife's going to give birth, and he goes, say what, right? I, how did he go from that to this profound writing in the song? That's what I want to focus in on for just a moment because I think it's what could inform our lives, the hours that are before us in this day, and, and really every day as we seek to follow Jesus. How does Zechariah come to grasp the profound message that Gabriel brings so that he's able to worship as he does in this, this song? Well, I think the answer is found back in Luke 1, 18 through 20. So let, let's look at that again and, and remember, consider what, what Gabriel said to Zechariah. I'll reread it. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Consider that for a moment. Acting on behalf of God, of course, Gabriel 
causes Zechariah to be silent, unable to speak for nearly a year. Right? Is my math right on that? 40 weeks is a pregnancy, but Elizabeth has not yet conceived. We don't really know exactly how much time has passed, so 40-plus weeks, it's getting close to a year. Could you imagine being unable to speak for a whole year? Why, why did God, why did Gabriel inflict this, this inability to speak upon Zechariah? Ask yourself that question for a moment. How do you read the text? What's in your heart as you read that? My initial reaction suggests, well, I think God's at least a little bit annoyed, right? Like Zechariah's in trouble here. That the angel came and made this announcement and Zechariah didn't automatically believe and so therefore he's going to be disciplined or punished or whatever word you want to use. Like that was my first reaction. Maybe it is for some of you. I mean, maybe that says something about my own relationship with the Lord, that my gut reaction is, oop, God's mad. But I think I'm probably not alone in this. Isn't that what many of us feel? Whenever we are forced into moments of trouble in our life, that's simply moments that, that force us to wait and be silent because really there, there just are no words. Been in a moment like that? I mean, most of us have, or if you haven't yet, you will. I mean, it may be, it may be a moment that came because <laughs> in this kind of modern marvel of my chart, you use my chart, right? So you go get a test. Uh, at the hospital because maybe, maybe something's really wrong and you go get this test and the results of the test come to my chart before you're able to go talk to your doctor. And so you look at my chart and it goes, uh, ye, I'm no doctor, but this doesn't look good, right? And so you call the doctor and you say, hey, I saw the results here. Can I talk to the doctor? Because I'm really nervous, and the scheduler says, yeah, he's got an opening in three weeks. <laughs> and what do you do? What can you do? Right? You wait. And while you're probably not silent, your words mean nothing. Some of us face that, right? right? We're in this stage of life now. We have wonderful children. They're on a good path, but it's hard. Some of you know, right? When your kids are becoming adults and you're going, okay, I was giving you careful instruction all along, and now I have to mostly do this. And so when we, Lily and Isaac come home from college and they're telling us everything and we mostly wait in silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm hard, right? You go interview for a job. They said, we'll give you a call. Day goes by, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. You're waiting. It's, it's really, really hard. Are you with me? Do you experience this? This is what Zachariah is feeling. I was thinking about my own father. My, my, my father passed away 
In 2009, I got the call right after church on Sunday morning, hey, you better get here. Your father's about to pass. My dad's so stubborn, he hung on for five more days. I never left his side really trying to care for my mom. You know, by that fifth day, I was pretty ticked off at my dad. <laughs> like, it's hard to wait when there's nothing to say. Is God disciplining or punishing Zechariah here? It's the reflex of my spirit, but I, I don't think it's right. For compare what what Zechariah said to what Mary says. It's a passage we don't read this morning, but if you have your Bible open, you can see it in verse 35. If you, if you don't, you'll probably recall it. When Gabriel basically made a similar announcement to her that she would carry God's child, Mary said, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, look at it. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? Verse 18. Mary, verse 34, says, how can this be? Kind of the same thing, don't you think? And yet Mary is honored. She's one of the greatest saints of all the church. And Zechariah is punished? I, I don't think so. God is not being punitive when he causes Zechariah to be silent. Instead, I think he gives him a gift. That God gives Zechariah this profound gift in this profound moment that forces him in this great movement of God to be still, to commune with God himself, to deeply consider all that God's doing, to, to recognize and appreciate and celebrate. Silence forced him to listen and connect the dots and see what God was doing. And friends, I think, though I don't believe we'll likely have an angel come and strike our tongue, I do believe that God wants that same opportunity for us. Silence is a gift most of us struggle to receive. And yet, without it, I think we have little hope of grasping all that God is doing in our lives, especially when we're lifting up this, the occasion of Christmas. I mean, I, I acknowledge some struggle with silence more than others. Right? My wife's an introvert. She really appreciates moments of silence. I'm an extrovert. They drive me nuts. Some of you really love silence, but most of us struggle with it. Consider how noisy our culture is. TV, radio, talking, traffic. I mean, you just heard I'm, I'm out running errands. I have to turn the radio on. I have to think about something. I mean, just consider how disconcerting silence is after the prayer of confession this morning. Some of you thought I fell asleep, didn't you? I set my timer on my phone for one minute. That's all it was, one minute. And yet for some of us, our skin was crawling. 
right? No names, you don't have to raise your hands. But silent waiting, alone with God, if we think about this story that we've been tracing, it's in those moments that God meets his people. Think about it, Jacob in the middle of the night wrestling with God, or Moses at the top of Mount Horeb where he encounters God all alone and receives the Ten Commandments. Elijah, after he did battle with the prophets of Baal, remember that? And Jezebel says, I'm going to get you. What does he do? He flees, and it's in that moment of quiet, all alone, that God comes and comforts him. If you know the Christmas story, you know Luke 2, 19, that after Gabriel says these things to Mary, her response is to treasure all these things up and ponder them in her heart. Jesus, even Jesus, we see all throughout the gospel, retreats from the crowds and goes in silence to meet with his father over and over and over again. And John, his apostle, well, it was in a forced exile where certainly there was silence that God met him and gave him the vision we know as Revelation, the last book of the Bible. This revelation that calls us in the, in the season of Advent to expect the return of our King. Silence is so important. It's true in the scripture. It's been a discipline for many of the saints of the church throughout history. I, I was reminded this week of, of an interview that Mother Teresa uh, gave to Dan Rather. Now, if you're my age or older, you remember Dan Rather, right? Kids, you're like, who's that? He was a really important news anchor when there were only three stations on television, right? Dan Rather was interviewing Mother Teresa about her prayer life. Mother Teresa, you may not know. Mother Teresa was one who served in Calcutta, India, uh, to the poorest in the world. She is a great hero of our faith. Anyway, Dan, Dan Rather's interviewing her about her prayer life, and, and he says, uh, Mother Teresa... When you pray, what do you say to God? And she looked at him, and then she smiled. She said, well, I don't say much. I just listen. Well, and then Dan Rather responds. This is what makes him a great interviewer. On the spot, he turned it around, and he says, oh, well, Mother Teresa, what? What then does God say? Her response? He doesn't say much. <laughs> he just listens. I love it. I love it. Right? Silence. It's so, so important. So let me just leave you with that. How might you nurture silence as a part of recognizing Christ this year? Intentionally taking some moments to remember. Maybe remembering people that God has brought into your life. That have helped you walk in faith. Maybe remembering moments where God has shown up in your life. In ways of grace and mercy and blessing. Maybe remembering the promises of God. That you've known since childhood, some of you. But if you're 
If you're not quiet, if you're just caught by the hustle and bustle, you'll forget remembering God's faithfulness. This could be a really, really busy day. I mean, you've already lost two hours here, right? But I hope, if only for five minutes, somehow, you got little ones, put, it's okay, put the screens on in the back of the car as you're driving to grandma's house today. Like, find some time to be silent. Ask God to come and help you grasp this profound message, this profound moment where God takes on flesh, comes into the world, that you and I might be saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way that you moved in Zechariah's life, forcing him to be silent. And so giving him space to comprehend all that you are doing. Not just in the life of Israel, but also in his life personally. As he gazed upon the child that you gave to him. Would you help us in a similar way? Take some moments in this day. Would you help us to to get our hands and our head around the profound message of Christmas. For those who are able to be here, would you help us return and worship? For those who are traveling away, Lord, would you go with them and remind them this evening of that great moment of salvation? Would you be glorified, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.